0: Welcome to The Mess, 150 years of Cape Breton Highlander tradition. I am your host, Major Jason Doyle. The Cape Breton Highlanders are more than an infantry regiment of the Canadian Army. After everything we've been through, it's hard not to see each other as family, as brothers and sisters in arms. Furthermore, some of us are actually family. Generations of Cape Bretoners have joined our ranks and they have instilled in their children the values of service. Even myself, my father served with the Cape Breton Highlanders and I had an uncle who became a commanding officer of the unit. Today, we invite you to some of our family conversations and discuss the family values at the core of the Cape Breton Highlanders. It
1: relates to the kind of regimental system that promotes brotherhood, soldiery, of course, and
0: our heritage on Cape Breton is very much uh, Highland. This is George Tricic, retired lieutenant colonel and commanding officer with the Cape Breton Highlanders from Sydney. Over his four decades in service, George rose from private to leading the battalion and even served a few years as the president of the Cape Breton Highlanders Association as well. Throughout your career, you basically served all the positions that are within the unit. Yeah, every one. Yeah. What was your favorite one?
1: I'd have to say, heck, I had a joy, i had fun at doing them all. Times are different when you're a private, and even as a corporal, you're kind of carefree and you follow directions and have fun when you finished. Corporal, of course, was the first level of responsibility, so I enjoyed that. And uh, when I was a corporal in those days, a corporal was equivalent to a master corporal. So it was a very good introductory leadership position. You have to break away from your peers too. I mean, suddenly you're having fun with them and uh, now you have to pass on direction that they may or may not seem to be fun for them, but you had a job to do and you had to earn respect in that way by uh, ensuring that proper direction was followed. Yeah, uh, commanding officer was good fun and uh, captain was good fun, lieutenant. And major, they're all fun,
0: yeah. When I look back on your career and stuff, one of the things that strikes me the most is you running the shooting teams and some of the traveling that you got to do as part of that.
1: I started out, there was not much of a shooting program in the area, Atlantic Militia area at that time. Uh, General Percy, I think, from Halifax, decided to institute a an area-wide shoot and mandated that all districts at that time, six of them, participate. The first year at Cape Breton district didn't provide any team the general was not happy with that the next year I was given direction to put a team together along with the at that time Lieutenant parsons I was a lieutenant then and we uh, put together the first team and it went on from there that was in 1972 and I became involved again at the area level or national level in 1977 I want to say that at the rudimentary level when we first started, the level of accomplishment wasn't that high. But after you know, learning things and uh, passing those things on to soldiers and getting the very best soldiers we could, came very close to winning that the last time we had a go at it. I was quite proud of that kind of achievement. Rick would won the rifle at that time, and I ran the SMG and pistol. Got to the national level at 1977 and just helped out with the administration and logistics with the area team. Then in 84, 85, as a major, I was asked to be the team captain and organizer and responsible for their performance. And at that time, there were disciplinary issues that I had to settle out. No problem doing that. And uh, we improved year after year. And finally, about 13 or 14 years later, maybe even a little less, maybe 10, the Atlantic Militia Area Team or LFAA headquarters team Ended up winning everything and broke range records for three years in a row.
2: For me personally, I joined the unit in 2009, hearing the stories of my father with with his pastime within the regiment. Being a Highlander to me was always a way to show my pride and my love for our island, Cape Breton, in the best way that I felt that I could.
3: Now, in my case, I joined the battalion in 19... Well, actually, I started coming into the park in 1972, actually, 72, 73. I actually signed up, but you see, I was a little bit too old, so I had to go through a number of extra hoops. But when I finally signed in, I was with the Charlie Company here in the garrison. My CEO of the company was, at that time, Captain Rick Parsons, now Brigadier General Rick Parsons. And my platoon commander was a chap by the name of George Fraser, the late George Fraser, nice person. That's where I started uh, my career, and I've done any number of positions throughout the battalion over the years.
0: Did someone asked you, didn't know what a Highlander
3: was, how would you describe a Highlander? I'd describe a Highlander as a person who belongs to a group of individuals who have in their own mind, first and foremost, the best for their unit, whether it be their unit, their clan, their group of people. In the case of the military, you've got platoon companies, battalions, etc. And it's something that you're willing to do. It's, as I said many times, when I entered the park, the men that I served with at that time, I would have went to the wall for, and I'd go to the wall for them today. To me, that's the most important thing of being a Highlander.
0: John, I know that you hold the traditions very close to your heart and everything else. Why do you think tradition is important in a modern
2: Highland unit? I would be amiss not to mention the man sitting to my left. One of the reasons why I joined the military is I was always given the opportunity to listen to his stories during his time in the regiment and knew that it was something that I needed to fulfill some type of Cape Breton pride void, if you want to call it that. I was fortunate enough to go away for university, but to make it home as well. And I was very quick to enter the recruiting office when I returned home. I've also had the pleasure of serving with a lot of officers, both within my time in the regiment, as well as on some taskings that I've been on. But I do feel that I need to mention a couple of senior NCOs in particular. Retired Captain Bernie Curtis, who was the RSM when I joined the regiment. I joined the regiment as a logistics officer because at the time my eyes were not at the standard that was needed to be an infantry, which is quite surprising when you really think of what infantrymen do. But when I joined the regiment, RSM Curtis was very quick to all but snatch off my beret and throw a balmoral on me to ensure that he knew that I was part of a Highland regiment. So I knew where Captain Curtis's love and devotion was, and that love and devotion lasted until he, he retired from the regiment a number of years ago. As well, on a more current basis, Sergeant Andre Ouellette, who just left the regiment last year. Sergeant Ouellette had 44-plus years in the military, and we were fortunate enough to have him return to the unit. The unit that he started with, and I believe, Dad, if I'm not mistaken, he started when you were a serving member.
3: Yes, he was, um, he was, he was a corporal with the Alpha Company when
2: General Parsons and I were there. Uh, Sergeant Ouellette left the unit and he went regular force and he served with the the PPCLI and returned back to the regiment for the last number of years of his career. And just the devotion that he showed to the troops as a senior NCO, Andre Ouellette ensured that everybody knew that the soldiers came first and that was something that I always took from him as a junior officer and now as a, a company commander to ensure that my troops come first, and I learned that one a lot from Andre Lett.
3: One of the things that we haven't mentioned, and I think it's worthwhile mentioning, is we've been very fortunate here, at least during my time, the RSS people, the regular support staff that are assigned to the unit, that were assigned to the unit, were top-notch. Absolute top-notch. One in particular, a chap that I know well and served with and have worked with on a number of tattoos, etc who retired as a RSM of Edmonton, was John McNeil. He was here with me when I first got in. As a matter of fact, we worked together. Because I was with Fisheries and Oceans, I was able to, common, not commandeer, that's the wrong term, I didn't have that ability, <laughs> but I managed to line up a fisheries patrol vessel that would act as a support vessel for a pathfinders, of course, for the Canadian Airborne Regiment. John McNeil was working with the Airborne Regiment at the time. Now, John himself is an airborne soldier as well, and also, believe it or not, a, an American Ranger. He has a Ranger tab as well. We had the top-notch people. We had Captain Harry Baldwin, who was ex-Black Watch, went with the 2RCR, and uh, he was there as well. Those people added experience. And I remember and one of the things that sticks in my mind, I remember talking to John and to Harry both at the mess one evening. We were all there at the mess. John was on a visit over from the, the surgeon's mess. And I kind of mentioned to them, I said, you people don't realize. I said, you talk with one another when you're talking in the field. I said, you're talking about things to do, whether it be field craft or whatever. And you're leaning on 15, 20 years experience. I'm like a sponge, I'm trying to absorb all the information that you're providing. And I said, I would do the same thing if it was reversed. You don't know what fish you're talking about, or you don't know what species are available in the waters off of Cape Breton, but I can give you right down to the number of scales, perhaps on the actual fish. And this is one of the things, the transfer of information on both ways, I thought was extremely good. And we've been very fortunate, I can speak for only for my time, of course, uh, the ones that we had assigned to us were absolutely top-notch, and even the ones that I knew that I and talked with and worked with regularly that were assigned to the other units, whether they be the uh, service battalion or the engineers or the medics.
0: You know, a lot of the regular support staff, we're now seeing a good majority of them start at their careers, with the Cape Breton Highlanders. Our last operations warrant started here with me. Our current one now uh, also started. Now, I, I don't remember him. We're at the same time, but I just, I know the name. I just can't put his face back 20 years ago, but we're starting to see that kind of come back around, which is really great.
3: I was very proud and very happy that John was following in my line, because obviously some of the things that I told him may have taken hold. The other side of that is, as I started to realize that, fortunately, Canada right now is not in a position where it has to worry about evasion or anything like that. We've always been very lucky that way. That's why it's so amazing that the Dutch people are so nice to Canadians. But it started to chew on my mind a little bit, saying, well, what would happen if, and I can't do anything about it? You see, he's at the eligible age to serve now, and I'm too old. So even if I'd want to, I can't. And to me, that's the most frustrating part, in my heart of hearts.
2: I think with me, if you want to use the term following in a father's footsteps, given my civilian career as a physiotherapist and my connection to my mother as a physiotherapist, my military career provides a connection with dad that is not one that is fully shared by mom or my wife, Julie. Somewhat understood, I think, from a spousal end of things, but it is something that regardless of whatever is happening, we always have an opportunity to bring something back that we can speak to on the same level.
4: My father was in the Ancestry Unit, if you will, the uh, 94th Victoria Regiment Argyle Highlanders, raised in Bedeck, but uh, later moved to Sydney, or at least had a, a presence in Sydney. Uh, he enlisted in World War I. I think there were something like 300 and some, 349, I believe, members in the 94th, and 90-plus percent of them went into the regular force that was raised for World War I, my father being one of them. He retired at the end of the war as a major, and when World War II broke out, he volunteered and was promoted Lieutenant Colonel and Commander of the 2nd Battalion, Cape Breton Highlanders which was raised for local defense. When that was done, uh, about a year or so later, he was a barrister by trade. He reverted to major and went overseas with the uh, AJAG, with the uh, Adjutant General Group, and ended up in France around the time of the liberation of the city of uh, Reims, R-E-I-M-S, sometime in September of 1944. Then I came rolling along in 1956, I joined. And at the time we didn't have modern encumbrances like uh, ID cards. So I was, uh, as the expression went, I was 18 for three years. I joined at 15 and I had a lot of friends who did the same.
0: You got married during the war. Yeah. How long were you guys married? 41 years. How many kids do you guys have? Six. I had nine,
5: but uh, there's six living, all forces. So this became a family tradition then? Yeah, but not following my footsteps. The oldest daughter was Navy. Next one, when uh, Trudeau was putting people out of the services, he couldn't join, so he went into the sea cadet movement. Next fella, he came home, he said, Dad, I joined the forces. Good, why didn't you tell me that a, a while ago? He just turned 17. And because that day I spent $400 on his teeth that <laughs> he could have done in the service. <laughs> he went in, uh, he wanted to be in the Air Force, same as his mother was. After his basic training, posted him to Shearwater on the Sea Kings. He spent 30 years on the Sea Kings and ten years, well, five years in Golgolkirkin on the wage acts, But 40 years service. The next one was my youngest daughter. She called home one day and said, Dad, they asked me if I'd like to be an officer. I said, grab it. <laughs> they put her three years in the Roads in Victoria. Her marks were high enough that said, why don't you go to RMC? So she went three years to RMC come out
6: as a computer engineer. In my grandparents' time, I had two uh, uncles that were fought in Italy. One was in transport and the other was in engineers. I had a third uncle who served in Korea. My uh, father was working at the steel plant And he had a medical problem, so uh, he was not uh, eligible to join the armed forces. My younger brother joined the Cape Breton Highlanders in the late 50s. Matter of fact, he was on the uh, Presentation of Colors in the 1950s, the second Presentation of Colors, and they all survived. I didn't have any losses of people overseas, except for my brother who joined the Cape Breton Highlanders and myself in the militia. Other uncles I had were in overseas, and in Italy actually. Uh, we have three, uh, we have two boys and a girl. And for grandchildren, I have four, four grandchildren. And one of them, the grandchildren is in the cadets, the Army cadets here at the park, and he enjoys that very much too.
7: My family's been playing hereditarily, I estimate, before the mid 1700s. So we've been playing generation after generation for over 250 years. In that 250 years, a lot of them have played for the Cape Breton Hunters too, correct? I'm the third generation of my family to play for the Cape Breton Highlanders. My great-grandfather was a piper during World War One and World War II, and my great-uncle was with the band during all of World War II. And my grandfather, he joined the Air Force during World War II, but after the war, he joined the Cape Breton Highlanders and eventually became the band officer.
0: What does it mean to you to be part of 150 years of tradition with the Cape Breton Highlanders?
7: For me, it's huge because I can look back at my family history and even my family alone is over 100 years tied in with the regiment. So I find it's easier for me to see that history, but it's huge to have the regiment here and still standing after 150 years when there are so many units that are only still really young or have gotten forced into other units. So it's really good to see that we still have that available and that we're still here. Something I really noticed in the last couple of years, when we first joined the military, or when I first joined the military, it seemed like the one thing you were supposed to do to get people's attention was to yell at people. Yelling and volume, that was how you made things work. But in the last couple of years, the former CSM and uh, DSM, Andre Ouellette, he just always had such a calm demeanor about him. Whenever he needed stuff done, he almost never yelled because he didn't need to because if he talked, people listened. Turning yourself into something like that, if you do have to yell, it makes it that much more effective. And that's something that I've been trying to put into teaching because that way you just save yourself and yelling at people doesn't really do much. Some other people that really uh, helped me through my career, Warren Campbell, just watching his years of experience and his job knowledge, just knowing everything, always calm, always relaxed. It was just impressive to see that every situation he had an answer and just getting to see that experience pan out. It was really, really good to see things like that.
0: Can you think of any mentors that you had with your time with the the Cape Breton Highlanders?
6: Yeah, we've had so many people that have joined the militia and have left or passed away. Two that come to mind right here in the militia was Bricky Forger, who was an RSM of our battalion. The other one was Bill Metcalf, who Bill was with the Cape Breton Highlanders overseas. And he uh, was with the association and the monument that we have on King's Road. So yeah, there's been so many people that stand out in my mind over the years that I really have to think about. There's so many of them that, that come to mind that were good mentors and really showed the way as to how to deal with people and importance of doing your job.
8: The most important influence on me was a man by the name of Basil Arsenal. He. Joined the military quite young. I believe, I didn't ask him about it, to me he was, he was larger than life. I did have some chats with him, but it, I never asked him about this. But I believe he was with the Black Watch when the Black Watch was a regular unit in the Canadian forces. Now it's a reserve unit, still has the pride and history, but it's no longer regular. But then he became uh, an airborne soldier. He also joined the Royal Canadian Regiment. He took courses in the United States with the Airborne Rangers down there, so he was a qualified Army Ranger based on U.S. standards and from all ports excelled in all areas. We were lucky to have him working with us as a regular force member who would teach us things, and I, to this day, have a picture I'm very proud of of he and I together, me as a young corporal and him as a Royal Canadian Regiment soldier, and I'll always be proud of that. So Basil, God rest your soul. You were a really great influence. Uh, also people like a gentleman who was a sergeant when I was in, he was reserve Andre Ouellette, recently retired. He was a lot of fun to be around and he made training fun as well. He was one of the guys who, like I said, he made you realize there's a certain game to it. You have to play the game. Like you said, they'll find something. They'll find some dirt on your boots or whatever it happens to be. And I guess lastly, at the officer rank, The most influential person was Colonel Ian McIntyre, who was the commander of the entire militia unit when I joined, but he came from a Highland background and continued to wear Highland kit, though he was a commander of the entire militia unit. He never forgot, and still doesn't today, uh, as a member of the Highlanders Association, he doesn't forget where he came from as a Highlander.
9: I think when I first started, there was many mentors, and, you know, I could rhyme them off. Corporal Rick Parsons, we were corporals together at one time, and then of course he went on to become a brigadier general and had a terrific career in the reserves. Ray Morrison, he went on to become a major eventually. George Strysick went on to become CEO of the unit. Ron Stoner was my first tomb commander in B Company in Glace Bay, and he went on to become a full colonel and CEO of the West Nova Scotia Regiment, and I think was Honorary Colonel of the regiment down there, and and now he's involved with the uh, Army Cadet League of Nova Scotia. Gary Gardner was a, a super master corporal. Tom Kennedy became the president of Branch 3 Legion in Glace Bay. You know, and I still keep in touch with the, uh, these guys. Even ex Reg Force guys, we had Reg Force RSS, a regular uh, support staff, working with us back in the early 80s. By a guy by the name of Johnny McNeil. Uh, Johnny was a Black Watch and RCR and airborne guy. He became a chief warrant officer in the Reg Force, retired, and started working with cadets. I'm still friends with him. We still have lunch once in a while.
4: Guys who had been there, privates, colonels, got a lot of good training from these guys, sometimes over a beer or several. But I learned a lot from listening to those guys. The commanding officer was a very fine gentleman by the name of Carl Arnold, whose granddaughter, I believe, yes, is at CBU. Mm-hmm. And he had been a company commander, a major with the K. Breton Highlanders through the Second World War. Captain J.J. McDonald, Sharky McDonald, larger than life, Joe the Buck McIntyre, uh, Colonel Bob Kipping, who had been a sergeant with the CVH. And I could go on and probably name a hundred if I thought. Amazing people. Amazing. Sharky McDonald, by the way, if I may, and he is definitely one of my heroes. He was instrumental, he and Bob Kipping and many others, in getting the Cape Breton Highlanders monument on King's Road. Mm -hmm. And that was another great maneuver. Well, Terry
1: Mosley stands out. He was a dedicated soldier. I recognized him as a captain major and, and commanding officer. Uh, him in particular. There were some good NCOs that were uh, around then. Uh, Walter Wojek was a, a very good NCO. They were mostly all good.
5: Comeratry, you couldn't get any better. And if one got into trouble, the whole unit got into trouble.
9: Uh, I know a lot of industries and businesses, they don't like uh, their employees associating after work hours. But I found with the reserves, it was an important part of life because you got to talk to people, your peers and and superiors, in a different uh, atmosphere. Sometimes, uh, you know, some major decisions were made over a glass of Keats.
8: This is not a part-time job like any other that anyone could have. You don't see people getting together from grocery store they used to work at 20 years ago and getting together and telling stories and all that kind of thing. I mean, it just, it really doesn't happen. With us, we get together and we bump into another Highlander. Even if they've served at different times, we have stuff to talk about. I think it's really an important reality for people looking for part-time jobs. Do you want to be part of something greater than you? Then join the Highlanders because it's not just a job. Yes, it's a paycheck and all that, but... You get stories out of it. You get to talk about what it was like to sleep without proper covering in the rain, what it's like to chip ice out of the mouth of your canteen so you can take a drink of the water that's in there. It sounds like who would want to join up and deal with that sort of deprivation? It's great fun. It's not like you're thrown to the wolves. You're trained in all of this. You're trained in how to survive winter warfare and that kind of thing. And for anybody looking for a part-time job, that's more than just a few dollars here and there. You can make a career that starts with a unit like the Cape Breton Highlanders.
0: You have been listening to The Mess, commemorating 150 years of Cape Breton Highlanders tradition. To continue participating in our 150th anniversary celebrations, check out shapingofcanada.ca. To learn how you can become a Highlander and join us at the MESS, visit our page on the Canadian Forces website or join us on Facebook at the Cape Breton Highlanders Association page.